Well, um, so we continue in our series on fully alive, and uh, the glory of God is when man is fully alive, and he made us to um, be people of joy and people of glory, which is another way of saying fully alive. And um, when we really see him, we are enjoying his glory, and that's our glory. And when he sees us fully alive, that's his glory. There's this interesting relational glory exchange when this happens. And uh, so we're continuing in that series, and we've spoken about, you know, man and, like, what does it actually look like when man steps up and acts manly and takes some responsibility, particularly for himself and those relationships that he's, he's responsible for, like his covenant relationships, marriage, family, etc., particularly in those cases. And then woman, um, last week we, we talked about as the, the, the one who cooperates with the filling in of life in a profound way of divine wisdom. And then this week we're beginning to talk about when those two really come together well. And there's things that make it hard for that to come together well. And in fact, if you start talking about marriage in our culture today, um, that might actually engender some anxiety. Um, it's not easy to talk about today. I mean, there's so many different concepts and uh, so many different ideas about what it means to be married. And we're gonna be focusing on what does the Bible say about marriage? What's the Bible's conception of marriage? What's God revealing to us in his holy scripture, his inspired holy scripture about what does it mean to be man and woman in relationship in a covenant called marriage? And uh, we, want to, we want to grasp that. We want to grab hold of that because I think it will deal with some of the natural fears that we have at this time. I think uh, this kind of came across to me, one of my early morning dreams, you know, I'm, I'm anticipating this talk, and um, I just come off of a, a talk, what was it, was it two days ago? We did, uh, so my wife Jeannie and I did a talk at our diocesan convention, it's called Revive, and uh, we did a talk on spiritual motherhood and fatherhood, and a few of you were there, um, and I, I remember looking out uh, on them, and uh, you know, actually some of your faces, kind of similar to what I was seeing there. I see like this longing, and this hunger for, like, yeah, I really want spiritual motherhood and spiritual father. I want to understand what that means. And yet also a little bit of like, uh-oh, I'm a little scared about what that might mean. And uh, there's this interesting dynamic of fear and longing, of fear and desire for what God might have with marriage. And the, the dream that, that came to me as I was considering that kind of attention. I was seeing this very powerful young horse running around in the courtyard of this stable, right? And he's excited, he's powerful, but he's anxious. He's actually anxious. And I felt like the Lord was saying, all right, I just want you to take that mighty horse and just give it some food and speak softly to it about what fully alive means with respect to marriage. Because it's a good thing. It's a good thing when a husband and wife really live into the meaning of that. Um, so I wanted to start to um, paint the picture just a little bit. Um, that first of all, what we're talking about here is not something that man invented. And we're not talking about this as in the thing that's defined by the legislation of the laws of our land here on this earth. As important as that is, what we're talking about is the marriage as it's revealed to us in scriptures, which is God's expression of love to us about what does it mean to be alive and how do you live well and full. And um, actually, 
It's something that God designed from the beginning. It's how Jesus puts it. It's, he designed it from the beginning as a man leaves his family and then cleaves to his wife. And that's meant to be a permanent lifelong union between a male and a female. And that's how the scriptures understand it. We don't really have any other scriptural understanding of marriage except between a male and a female. And, and that... Um, and then it's a lifelong permanent commitment, and that's what it's intended to be from the beginning. Um, I think one of the reasons we're afraid when we hear any discussion about marriage is, is all of us at some level have been touched by the failure of us in our humanity and our sinfulness to live up to the, the goodness of it. You know, we may have grown up in a home where marriage itself was so conflicted that we carry that conflict in our heart even to this day. And our relationship with the other, the other sex is impaired because of it. Some of us have been through marriages and they failed because we failed to live up to the, the vows of our marriage or our spouse did. And there was a hardening of the heart, a failure to repent and return to the true meaning that God intended because he loves us. But it's something that is transcendent. It's something that's given from above. It's by virtue of creation. And it's also something that God renewed. We see this at Cana is that he really did pull it back into his kingdom plan. He redeemed what it means to be a man and a woman, in husband and wife, covenant marriage, holy marriage. Holy just means it's set apart to God. We're not talking about other relationships. We're talking about the particular, peculiar relationship of a man and a woman in holy covenant, vowed relationship before God and united by God such that it should never be put asunder. We're talking about it that way. And it's not something that we invent out of our romantic impulses. So Disney, in the context of the Judeo-Christian worldview, just doesn't hold a candle, okay? Romance can come in, and that's delightful when it does, and it often is the spark, I guess you could say. But it's the divine intent, and it's the divine inspiration that makes this glorious, okay? And when we receive it that way, we enter into that way. It's a transcendent reality. It's, a, it's like, it's the most beautiful poem, and it's a sung poem. And you get to enter into it and sing with it in joy. All right? So that's one of the reasons in our passage from Ephesians today, I said, I really want to include the little section that talks about ministering to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, because really the love song that the Lord is singing over humanity is this proper relating of man and woman together, which is epitomized in a paragon, really, in the epitome of man and woman, husband and wife together. And it's meant to be echoed in other relations between males and females that are holy and godly, but particularly in the covenant relationship, Paul is even saying it's a mystery of God. It's a mystery, meaning a sacrament of Christ's love for the church and the church's love for Christ. It's kind of like what Daniel in his great prophecy talks about Nebuchadnezzar seeing the mystery of him as the king being the embodiment, if you will, of the entire land put together in unity. Well, Jesus, by Paul, is described as the... He's, he's, that we're part of his body. We're one flesh with him in marital union. He's betrothed himself to us. And so therefore we are one with him. 
And so when marriage is entered into from a divine standpoint, like this is over all of us, and if we enter into it and celebrate it and honor it as that divine gift that it really is, then light begins to shine in a really redemptive way, in a powerful way. I'll say one more thing because I want to begin to transition into... Why don't you leave that for me to say? Yes. I'll do those two together. Go, perfect, perfect. So I'm going to say one other thing about, you know, when you enter into this from a transcendent point of view, one of my earliest healing experiences, I began to realize that God actually speaks. I began to realize that you can actually hear him speaking with you, like a conversation, like I'm speaking with you. I hope you feel like this is conversational. And, um, and I began to hear his words, and then, I, then he began to, like, show me pictures that I realized, man, I can recognize when God's at work in my heart. The eyes of my heart are being opened. And the first thing he said Eric, you know, and he showed me in a picture, you've been trying to make your way to me and earn, your, earn the right to enter into relationship with me by doing all this stuff, and then you gain access to me. And it was like, the way he showed it was like all of these trinkets and all of these urns and all of these goblets and everything that were like cluttering my vision. I knew the Holy God was on the other side, and I kept on stacking up these things, and I actually couldn't see him, and I was thinking it was going to give me access, but it was blocking my view. And he was saying, no, just come to me, come into my presence. Come into my presence and then let me shine through all those things. And then the very next image that he gave to me, hey, hon, can you stand up? I want to show them what I saw. The next thing that I saw was the two of us like this with our arms around each other's waist and our hands up, extended like this. And it was like we were one body and he was showing us that when you enter into the goodness that I have for you and not put anything else in front of it, I'm going to fill you with my glory. I'm going to fill you with my glory. And you will be in that glory when you yourselves, together, jointly, in cooperation and in harmony, are offering a return thanksgiving, a return melody, a return of praise and thanksgiving. So the thing that I want to say before I hand over to Jeannie is that all of this has to be rooted in that reality. It's a divine gift. It's something that transcends all of us. We enter into it into humility and a kind of a reverence. And, um, and when we receive that, it's such a beautiful gift of God. And Paul sandwiches the section that we're going to be talking about today, which is practical. It's like the Archbishop this weekend was talking about Ephesians. He says, this is a, a manual for living here in Ephesians. And um, he sandwiches some of this practical stuff about how you live things out here in these divine realities. So I wanted to really root it in that, first of all. So Jeannie, do you want to pick it up from there? Yes. Um, I think I personally have sat through many sermons on marriage thinking this all sounds really great, but you know, when the rubber meets the road, I don't always experience all these wonderful, you know, divine ideals in my own marriage. And we can all look around and see failed marriages and you know, really messy marriages, and it's easy to look at it with a very jaundiced eye. But <clears throat> remember, that's where human sinfulness gets in, and <clears throat> that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about God's ideal, which he empowers with the help of the Holy Spirit, and that's really the only way that we can actually have good marriages, is with his help, and when we're we are independently submitted mm. to the Lord and to the, and to the way that the Spirit leads us to submit. 
Um, and this one totally go rogue here, but. All right, this is like a first. <laughs> Usually I'm the one that goes, goes rogue. <laughs> well, do, even talking and doing these sermons with him <laughs> is a, like a submitting for me because it's not my style to kind of roll with whatever, like, cause we'll have an outline and then he'll, he'll say stuff like, wait, you're saying that now? Wait, <laughs> where, where are we? So uh, just because we've spoken together three times in the last week, it's helped me just say, okay, God will help me like choose words and it'll, it'll be okay and we'll fill in. So yeah, maybe I'm like that, you know, <laughs> horse that's let loose a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, God uses it all. Yes. So, um, so yeah, I, I just want to say, you know, even in our own marriage, like I said, I have sat there and gone, that's not what it looks like. That's not, mm. you know, and how do I submit when he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing? And um, it's very easy to pull up an example from the moment, too, from this morning even, and say, you know, but, but. And um, so I, I know that we might all have, like, resistance sometimes to what God's plan is. And that's, that's normal, but it's not, it's not spiritual. <laughs> it's not divine in the ways that you're talking about where right. we actually have to take it into more of a transcendent level. Um, and we're going to talk about sacrifice and submission in, in a second, but just keeping that in mind that it's um, what Paul is talking about when he mentions these words is not a legalistic way to live. He's actually talking about how we can do this in freedom and in connection with God and with each other. And like, here's a way that this kind of works well when you're operating <coughs> in these stances. Mm. And, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> in the past, more? yeah, in the past we've done a whole teaching on sacrificial submission and submissive sacrifice because they yeah. really are just two mm. sides of the same coin. It's not really like a higher, lower thing. Yeah, in, that, in, in, in a way, that's how the beginning of the passage is set up. Like, if you look at the first part of the chapter, it says, children, I want you to sacrifice your lives one, for another, one to yeah. another like Christ. And then the beginning of this section, submit to one another. So that's yeah. sort of the headline banner. It's more like a dance than it is like, mm. a, you know, higher, lower. I yep. think that... I think that covers most of what I was going to say, unless you think we need to say more about that. Oh, I guess I will say. So if, if you are thinking about feeling like, okay, this is triggering me, like I'm, I'm feeling a lot of feelings that I'm not sure what to do with, we just encourage you to come up for prayer later on. It, yeah. it might be that God is putting his finger on some very important things to pay attention to. Yeah, I, I think too, you know, it, it could be that when even I say the word submission or when I say the word sacrifice in the context of marriage, it evokes pain and it evokes maybe even memories of grave hurt, perhaps abuse. Uh, it might provoke like a sense of loss, like, man, I never experienced that. It was a great vision of neglect when I looked at it in my parents or in my own marriage. And so I just actually wanna take a moment right now. I just wanna pray, Lord Jesus, that if anyone in their own experience, as they've seen marriage um, not really manifest itself as you mean for it, has been hurt by that, I pray that you would bring your peace. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would, because you're so compassionate, you're such a good shepherd, that your gentle, meek ways 
would reveal again the Father's goodwill towards each of us. That you, Father, are a Father who knows how to give good gifts, especially your Holy Spirit, to reclaim and reanimate what it means to be husband and wife in holy matrimony. So Lord, settle us into the goodness and the generosity of your will for us, we pray. Amen. Um, you know, one of the things that Paul talks about here, I'm just going to go ahead and move forward with some of the things that, um, uh, the ways in which I might, should I go ahead with uh, the, the, the sacrifice piece, or did you want to say something before that? No. Did you have any more on this part? Um, Hit all that. Come back to it. Yeah, I can. Well, there's a couple caveats, right? I'm going to dive into the sacrifice thing, and, and Jeannie's reminding me that there's a couple caveats here. Um, so one, one thing is that, um, as I mentioned before, all of this is in the presence of God, right? Everything that we're asked to do here, because of the fall in particular, and because we're human also, and that means we're limited, it really is dependent upon cooperation with God. And, and that's why understanding that, you know, when we're talking about marriage here as holy matrimony, we're saying it's something that's set apart to God. It's not a human invention. And it's also ordained by God from the beginning. And therefore, it's asking for us to trust. So part of my prayer just a moment ago was to, like, in a sense, Lord, reawaken in us a trust in what you have for us for, through marriage because it's been abused. That trust has been abused um, by human failure, human, human sinfulness. So reawaken in us, Lord, a trust. So as I think Jeannie was sort of illustrating a second ago is that um, it can be scary to enter into this. And I'll reflect a little bit upon how it's been scary for me as a, as a husband who's called to be sacrificial. And um, it's scary. And so it depends upon a foundation of belief because it's, it's hurt in the past when it hasn't worked. So that's one thing is that um, it really does depend upon grace whose instrument is trust. And where's our trust rooted? Is it in our spouse? It's in, right, Dan, it's in Jesus. It's in Jesus Christ. He's the foundation of this. It's his sacrifice that makes it possible for me to sacrifice without being concerned that my lifeblood, if you will, of sacrifice is gonna go to waste. Not one expression of love ever goes to waste. Whether it's sacrificial or submissive in nature, because it's rooted and founded in Jesus, it will be fruitful. And so we can trust him for the bringing about of a fruit um, as we move into this sacrifice and submission. Um, the other thing that I want to say is that because it's transcendent, it is, it, it, it can feel like you might be able to strip it of just, let's take, speak of the principles of relationship and strip it out of the embodied context of creation. And in some ways, I think that these are the, the counterfeit versions that we see alive in the culture is there are other relationships that our culture has defined. But the relationship that is going to manifest the kingdom is one where it's embodied, and it's embodied between male and female, but it's one that's in covenant, it's under the authority of scripture, and it's, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And 
We can love people who are in other situations, but what we are focused on and what we are responsible to live out and as brothers and sisters, what we're supposed to hold to one another accountable to is the kind of relating that I'm talking about. All right, so kind of putting a huge bracket around this, aren't I? You see what I'm saying about this all? Is that there's other relationships in the world and we're not here to address that. We're not here to, Paul even says, well, I'm not here to judge those who are outside of the kingdom. I mean, I'm responsible to judge within those who actually want to follow God who actually want to live out a covenant of holy matrimony. But we're not here to judge those who don't, aren't seeking to do that. Is that, okay? All right, so um, I wanna just speak a little bit about the idea of the husband's call to sacrifice. I mean, uh, Paul is emphasizing for the husband sacrifice, right? We've said at the beginning that there's this call to submit and to sacrifice. That's really a universal call for all believers, male and female alike. Now, the husband is called to a particular emphasis on sacrifice, and that's what Paul is seeing here as an imitation of Jesus for the church. And if you think about it, think about Jesus' love for the church. Um, Jesus comes in from that place in the Father's house, and he pours himself into our humanity. He enters into suffering and death in order to betrothed the church as his bride. She's coming in from an outside position, if you will, to the withinness of human, human experience. And in a way, I think you've got a, a good picture of it with Mary at the wedding of Cana, which we read today. You've got Mary, she's very, very attuned to everything that's going on in that wedding. Um, I don't know where Jesus' head is at, but we have a little bit of an idea. It's like, this is not my hour. This is not my wedding supper. He is a wedding supper of the land that is to come in the future. And again, there's that tr transcendent dimension of which human households are supposed to portray. But that's not what's happening here. But Mary says, um, hey, they've run out of wine. This marriage is just trying to get off the ground and they've already run out of wine. And uh, she's tuned into that. She's connected to it. And this is true of wives in general, and I think part of John, what John is trying to say is that Mary's actually portraying the church. Our, our role as a church is we're within the world, right? And we're his body within the world, animated by his same spirit. And we are now one body, one flesh, with one Father and one spirit, one Lord. We're united with Jesus. And we are in the world, and through our intercessions as a church, because we're within the world, through our intercessions, we are presenting to Jesus the things that we need his attention towards. And that's a very feminine way of being, but Jesus' response is to take these things that we experience in our human context and bring them into the greater context of his kingdom. And he does that. He responds to that. What Jesus does is responding to Mary is he's incredibly um, pliable, is the word that I'll use. He actually is influenceable by Mary. And he is otherwise occupied with his kingdom, which is to come. And then she does her part, which is to say, well, I presented this to you. And then she says, so you just do whatever you will. Whatever he decides, you just do. 
But Jesus makes the sacrifice of coming in from the outside and applying his attention, and he's pliable to do that. And I think one of the things that for, for the male brain, I think there's one of the things, I mean, there's brain damage in the male brain. We know this from science, right? Our corpus... Um, colossum. Colossum. Yeah, see? It's not even intact. <laughs> there's like a division here. So there's, there's part of me that, that finds it really easy to compartmentalize, finds it really easy to focus, finds it really easy for a linear track of attention and then action. That's a really great thing in a battle. When bullets are flying at you, that's a really good thing. And sometimes you need to have that strength, and it's a strength that ref reflects a divine gift. But on the other hand, you've got woman who's incredibly connected at a feeling level with everything that's happening on the ground, bringing attention to the person who's maybe linearly focused, which often is the male. Now, everything that we're saying, by the way, we said this before, the male brain and the female brain, they'll have these distinctions, right? But each individual male and female might be a little bit different on these continua that we're talking about. And so Jesus is like that. I mean, he really is a male. He really was an embodied male. And, and so I think to a certain extent, what, why, the reason why John is showing the story, and this is the, the first manifestation of the kingdom in the Gospel of John, is that he wants to show us this dynamic in play, and that Jesus actually responds. And what does he do? The way that Paul puts it is he washes her with the water of the word. In other words, he's giving his full attention. And the spirit is, is often portrayed through the, in, in expressions like the eyes or the flames or the attention of God and also the water of God. And it's all of this is pouring out towards what Mary has now brought to his attention. He's sacrificing, if you will, his agenda in that moment to attend to hers, to come in from the outside. What does this have to do with me? What does it have to do with you and me and our greater call to the greater kingdom? She submits it to him, and then he sacrificially brings it in to the kingdom because he attends to her. I think one of the things that's hard for me as a man is, like, look, I've got these other priorities in my mind, at, you know, and I'm hey, I'm getting ready for a sermon, honey. What do you mean I've got to nail this thing to the wall? Or what you, I, I've got more important things to do. And Jeannie will come to me and say, honey, um, I really need you to do this because if you don't do this, then I can't feed the kids and the kids aren't fed. You know, they're going to have a, they're going to crash or they're going to go crazy. And I need you to just love them this way. It's a very embodied way. And I'm like, yeah, but then I'm going to mess up the sermon, which I inevitably will do anyway. I don't know why I'm worrying about it. <laughs> and, and yet, when I do enter into it, I have this sense of like, man, her gratitude just lights up, and here we are, right? Both standing like this. And the glory of God, I feel it in such a human way in that moment because she's lit up with gratitude, and then I'm grateful for her gratitude. Everything we've been talking about lately is gratitude, right? That's why we started with the thanksgiving and praise thing at the head of everything we're talking about. So that's kind of my experience of sacrifice and maybe a little bit about why Paul would say, men, you gotta sacrifice. Yes, everybody's mutually submissive, everybody's sacrificial, but men, you gotta focus on the sacrifice piece because you're coming in from the outside. You've gotta redirect your attention and then pour your life into it and pour out your life blood, your energy even, into it. Come present. That means you need to leave, by the way, us sinful men. This is not Jesus' issue. We need to leave 
our attendance to idols of the heart. Actually, this is probably one of the biggest things. We'll talk about this a lot more next week when we talk about sexuality. One of the great things about the tradition, when you would have the wedding ceremony in the ancient liturgy, they had this little bit about women obey your wives, right? And that's, we don't have that anymore. Women Women obey your husbands. husbands. Yeah, we're not going the other direction. (laughs) Um, uh, Women obey your husbands, right? And we don't have that in the liturgy right now. And actually that was, I won't go into the history of it. But at the same time, we had this commitment, this vow from the husband in the ancient liturgy, with my body I thee worship. I thee worship, but worth. In other words, she is worth the pouring out of your energy. That's a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. So men, that's our calling if we're called to marriage, but men in general, this is our calling in the world too. Is the existence that we have right here is worth sacrificing for in the name of God, in the power of the Spirit, so the kingdom can be manifest, okay? Okay. Um, So when we talk about submission, and, you know, just to say it, of course, this has been abused in the past in the history of the church a lot and um, misunderstood. But when we're talking about mutual submission, mutual sacrifice, um, the way in which it's kind of unique to ask a woman to submit, I believe, is that um, there's a tendency, I think, especially in our day and age, for women to run things their own way. And especially in the home, it's very easy for us to kind of call shots, make the decisions, and just kind of tell him when to show up. Yeah, you're so present to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I think the um, submission piece often looks like asking him for his input on decisions and schedules and um, parenting, all these things. But then the challenge is to take his input and to receive it, hear it, respect it, honor it, and try to work with it. Um, And especially even when it, it may not necessarily on first blush, be the best input. Especially, especially <laughs> if it's me. <laughs> no, no. Uh, no Beca- I because there's this kind of that. compartmentalizing. Sometimes, like, the man will leap to, like, well, here's the easy, quick fix <laughs> with the problem child, you know? And you're like, wait, wait, wait. It's more complicated. Hear me out. Listen. And it can take, a, I mean, sometimes it's just easier to deal with it ourselves. But... I truly believe we come to better decisions when we take the input and, um, and you know, mutually arrive at a decision. And it can, we, can be, we can make mistakes either way. I mean, I can say, okay, you're the husband, you're the head, I'll submit, even though I don't necessarily agree. And we, well, it, like can an be, it can be a right decision, it can be a wrong decision. Right. But I can also not seek his input, and I can make a wrong decision as well as the right decision. So when we do it together, there is just so many ways that the, the, the dance happens mm. where we, you know, we f- I, I find just in so many areas that things just work better when we, when we work together on them, even though getting there, you know, speaking from our experience, can be, it can be hard work. It, it can be always like, you're not listening. You're not really hearing. You know, I don't think you really understand. <laughs> But coming together like that is what we um, 
and what we really need to do. And then um, just on that receiving what he has to give piece, it, it can be challenging. I think we, we tend to want to tell him how he should sacrifice for us or how we should um, cherish us or, or um, even, you know, I, I read an article once about, a, you know, receiving his gifts because we want to tell him, I want this thing and, you know, this color and this store and, um, and instead of that willingness to receive whatever gift it is he has to give us that he sees something in it that would bless us. And I'm using that sort of more metaphorically. Um, it can be a literal gift, but it can be also other things that, he, that the husband brings to the wife that sh- she, um, I- you know, in a, in a submissive way can receive. And uh, <laughs> it's taken us a long <laughs> time to learn a lot of these things that we were telling you about. And we're still, I feel like uh, the learning curve, you know, we're, we're still way down here, <laughs> having a long way to go. Yeah. But we are having a lot more fun, though. Lately. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, I think one of the things that might be sort of embedded in what Jeannie is saying is that, you know, in some ways, both of these things are, are voluntary. But I would say, especially men, um, it's important not to hear that when Paul's emphasizing submission to the wife, that he's saying that you can now put her under your thumb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that this is a ruling as in the worldly way of ruling. It is not that. It's actually her, it has to be voluntary. And Paul's, these are vowed relationships. So in a sense, we're saying in holy matrimony, I'm, I'm vowing to sacrifice and my wife is vowing to submit, all within the context of mutual sacrifice and mutual submission. But it's still voluntary because we're talking about the relationship of human beings who are meant to be persons, who have a center. And that means part of what I think my sacrifice to her agenda is, is a voluntary one. And it's a willingness to so revere what she sees and to so respect what she experiences. And for her part as well, to so respect that what I'm bringing, however lame it often is, that she takes it in as part of what God might have. Again, or seeks it out when I, yeah. I could just not. I could just go ahead and move forward, you know, and just, yeah. like, leave him out of it. Right, right. So that voluntary turning to each other and attending to each other, and then as you encounter the other, really reverencing, really honoring, cherishing even the gift that the other has given, that's when explosions of divine reality start to happen because the person has been honored and then the dance has begun. One of the wonderful descriptions of the... the, of the before you, you go into the that. Lewis description? You can, but before okay. you go into that, I just had one of... There was a statistic about... Um, um, you were going to use it earlier. <laughs> Being influenceable by your wife. Oh, yeah. Karen's smiling because I got this from her. Well, actually, we got it from the Gottmans, right? Yeah. The number one predictor from... I guess one of the major predictors in the science of human relationships in a marriage in the last 25 years or so is that the husband is influenceable by the wife. Um, In some ways, you could say, too, that one of the major predictors of the marriage for the wife's part is that she actually receives what he then brings. In other words, she is not really critical about it. So he's not defensive not to enter in. He's actually influenceable. 
And she, when she sees what he's coming to bring, is not hypercritical. She might, it's completely permissible to tweak it, to engage in a dialogue, to help him, but then to receive it without, you know, maybe character assassination or attack, right? Those are ways that I might interpret and apply some of the things that we're learning about healthy, wholesome relationships that last within a marriage. Is that um, yes. Shoot, I had a thought to follow up with that. No. Um, and I've forgotten it. So go ahead and talk about Paralandra. <laughs> well, okay, so <laughs> I, I was just going to say, when, when this is really working, it is so different from the way that the world works because we're, not, we're no longer talking about power. We may have different emphases that Paul is bringing to the male and the female, which I think is him just being really realistic. Wonderful thing about rabbinic wisdom, and now it's now considered divine, divinely inspired rabbinic wisdom from Paul, is that it's attendant to real things. It's like there's some things about being a, a woman and things about being a man that you actually need to particularly attend to if you're going to be Christian. And so that's where these things are coming from, I think. And then when it's really working itself out, it's so beautiful. It's kind of like, um, it's like a dance. It's like a, um, a waltz of really accomplished and elegant um, couples dancers. And when that's really working well, you can't exactly tell who's leading and who's not. I mean, there's a leading and a yielding that is so simultaneous and so cooperative and so communicative and so engaged that it's like music in embodied form. And it's really a delight to see. And I think that's what it looks like when it's really working well. I thought of my, Good. my thought. It's about the male ego. <laughs> and you reminded Thank me you. to say this. Yeah, it's, you know, a lot of jokes and all that about that. But, um, but I think there is a reality that for men, that if there is insecurity, there's a feeling like if I, if I let my wife influence me, then I'm not as secure in who I am. And I need to, I need to have the answer or I, I need to, um, you know, without her, be able to go forward. And the, um, I feel like the really secure man it actually is open to input, takes input, and, um, you know, I know in our dynamic, that's been an, an issue sometimes, and it hasn't necessarily been about your ego, but... Oh, yes, it but, is. <laughs> but, <laughs> but there's a way that sometimes my influence has almost been, like, threatening, um, especially if I'm overly trying hard to get him to take my influence. So there is that kind of balance of, like... I love the passage with Mary that says, you know, here's the need. And then like, okay, you know, do whatever he tells you. Mm. And that has helped us sometimes mm -hmm. when I'm like, okay, I don't give you, like here's the problem and here's the solution that I need you to enact with the kids or, you know, with the situation. It's more like, here's the problem. And then mm. I have to wait expectantly. Yeah. And then sometimes I have the solution already in my head, in a way, but... Because she's a, an embodiment of wisdom in her home, really. But I, I, I need you not... I need, need your, your real input on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 
I don't know. Yeah, I've, I've speculated. Well, I've just speculated, and um, you know, over the years that the reason why Paul and I think Peter both, when they're talking about the household, the households of the faithful, are emphasizing, you know, this need to respect your husbands. I think it's partly because of this male ego thing. I actually do. It's like you know, well, here's here's the little paltry thing that I think I can handle. Here you go. <laughs> And then, and then the wife's like, what? What is that? No, I want this. But no, actually, the call is to respect what he's bringing. And because of the male ego, it's a pretty delicate thing, I guess. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm overstating my case for the sake of, I suppose, rhetorical humor. But um, I do think it's a real factor. And another thing like, is, that's helped us, and I don't know exactly how it fits in it, but just... We've talked a lot about appreciation and thanksgiving. Mm. And I know in our marriage, I have to say, that's probably made the biggest difference for us is how appreciating what he brings and mm. you appreciating what I bring and telling each other that we appreciate it yeah. and we're thankful for it. Amen. Has really um, brought us so much more like into like feeling like we're on the same team mm. and feeling like I can submit to you. I mm. feel appreciated. I feel yes. valuable. Yes. I feel like a worthy part of this partnership. Yes. I know you appreciate what I bring. It's when I feel like I'm not sure you're appreciating what I bring that, that then I feel insecure and I feel threatened and I feel like I have to manipulate and make things happen so that I'm protected and that I get what I see is the best um, mm. scenario, you know. So when that's, I don't know how it fits into exactly. Well, I mean, I, I, I mean this, this is, again, this is for both male and female, husband and wife. And I, can I just say amen to that? Because everything is, again, it's on the foundation of appreciation, first to God, and we can submit to this whole thing because it's God-given. And when we've entered into the call of marriage, we can submit to it because it's rooted in him, and we do it with appreciation. And then we extend that one to another in appreciation. I don't know if you know this, but whenever somebody says amen, in the Hebrew sense of that word, it means unshakable foundation. It's like you're, you're staking yourself on the ground of an unshakable foundation. You're saying amen to it. So everything that we've been saying, once again, is rooted in appreciation. Amen. It's amen. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Um, so all of this, in some ways, leads, again, back to this, the sandwich idea. Like, it started with... This is couched in divine spiritual realities. These are very practical playing, uh, ways to play it out in the households of the faithful. But ultimately, it's because we want to manifest the household of God and the family of God, of whom there is one Father in heaven, after whom all other fathers are named, right? And that's, that's, the, that's the divine gift that the Lord has for us. And um, it's, a, it's a place of mutual blessing. It's an incredible picture at the end of um, C.S. Lewis's book called Paralandra, where the Adam and Eve of that world have come through their time of testing, and they've not fallen in the way of Adam and Eve in our world. And there's this picture of them ascending to their throne room. Jesus describes, or Paul rather, describes us as having been seated in the heavenlies with him in his throne room. That's a real place of existence when we're clothed in Christ. And they're ascending to their throne room as the Adam and Eve of their world. 
and they're coming up and the light is falling on them and they become the embodiment of rhythm and melody together. And they're filled with this light that falls upon them and it's a divine light. And the way that Lewis's character is describing them is that they are hand in hand, a living and walking and authoritative paradise who are taking responsibility and taking authority over their realm. And what the early church has always understood from the scriptures is that when husband and wife in a home are actually reflecting the divine intent, it's like a little paradise. It's a micro basilea, a little kingdom of God filled with his glory and filled with his light and meant to spread from there out into the world. There's many ways in which we've failed to experience that. And that's the great sorrow. But I want to see if the Lord can touch us a little bit right now. We're not going to do prayers of the people. I'm going to instead ask if, um, if um, Father Steve and Becca, if you guys could come up here. I really want to lead us in a mutual blessing. We've talked a lot about the, the sacrament of marriage today and how uniquely that can embody and manifest the kingdom. But I also think there's a chance for us as men and women to be able to receive blessings as men and women, one from another. So I'm going to just begin by, I have a mic here somewhere, did I? Oh, man, thank you. Um, so we want to equip Becca. I think Steve has his equipment. Jeannie has hers. But um, so you guys can help me architect this a little bit if I need assistance. I would love for us to begin, maybe let's begin by just, um, um, why don't we have the women stand? Let's begin there. And um, for you as men, as these dear sisters stand, um, I'd like you begin to begin in your heart to turn your attention to God and to your sisters. And one of the powers I think that you can bring is with your own heart of attention, with the Holy Spirit guiding you, begin to offer prayers of blessing for the women that are in our midst here. Mm -hmm. And so um, let's just, uh, men, even like if you feel so led, maybe just extend your hands towards the women that are around you. Oh, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you showed how much it is that we actually need blessing by entering into the baptism. It was for the sake of righteousness. You entered into the baptism because you needed the Father's blessing. And then, Father, you favored your son because you saw him for who he really is. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are revealing to us who our sisters are, who these sisters in our midst, these um, mothers of Israel who will mother other children of light, that you've begun to show us who they are. And, and in the name of of Jesus. We men bless each of you, dear sisters, women of God, daughters of Zion, daughters who have a seat of authority in the heavenlies with Jesus. We bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit with the blessing that we as men can give. Holy Spirit, we would just ask for you to touch those places in our sisters' hearts which have been hurt by our lack of attention, which have been hurt by our dishonoring of woman, our objectification of woman. Lord, uh, we repent to you 
of these things. And we pray, Holy Spirit, healer and grower of life, that you would answer the prayers of your sons to begin to heal our daughters' hearts, our sisters' hearts, and our daughters' hearts, our mothers' hearts. And that they would know that they're safe in the sanctuary of your love. Not because we're always safe, but because you ultimately are safe and you are over all. And you will bring about the goodness of the blessing that you have inspired in us today. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would bless all the women here in their feminine giftings, whatever those look like, Lord. And for some of us, maybe we don't feel like our, our gifts are typical female ones, or we may not feel like our femininity is understood by others, or that we may not understand our own gifts. But Lord, I... I know that you see each one of us here. And you see us as unique. You see us as your precious daughters. Mm. You've designed and created each one of us with such attention to the formation of our souls, our bodies, uh, our minds. And Lord, we just thank you for how it is that you've created us. And I pray for that gift of accepting what you have put in us and for celebrating the work that you have given us to do. And I pray, Lord, for each of us for just that sense of your love, your delight in who you've made us to be. And I pray that we can live out who it is that you've made us to be and the callings that you've given us the giftings that you've given us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray too that you would lift any wrong conceptions of what it means to be woman that mm -hmm. must be submitted to a tyrannical authority. Mm -hmm. Lord, um, we as men, on behalf of men, repent of those false ways of entering into relationship with women. But we pray that you would lift even now the lie from our sisters. That submission means being ground under the authority of a ruthless and tyrannical authority. And restore again to them, Lord Jesus, a picture of your good, gentle way of loving and sacrificing. Thank you, Lord. It is so easy to submit to. Thank you, Lord. So easy to imitate in our own sacrifice by the power alone of your Holy Spirit. Lord, let them receive the easy yoke. Give them the grace of Mary to say, let it be to me. Oh, Father, good Father, loving Father, according to your will. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So um, I think we'll sort of trade positions now if... Um, Men, if you would stand, and if um, maybe one of you women can lead us 
can lead us in a prayer, or both of you, of mm -hmm. blessing to men. Do you have something to start with? <clears throat> Lord, I just want to thank you um, that you are the author of life and creativity, and you are the author of masculinity. I thank you that you created each one of these men that are standing here today. I thank you that you had a plan for their lives from the foundation of the earth. You know the trajectory of their lives, you know their past up till now, you know their present, and you know their futures. And I, I ask, Lord, that you would remove confusion over what it is to be a man and to be masculine. I thank you that you, you know how to do this, that when we aren't sure exactly how to approach it, um, you know what to do. I thank you that there is no one else in this whole universe that knows how to bring each one of these men into what you design them to be, that you know. There is no one like you who can take a boy and grow him into a man. And I thank you that you are answering those prayers. You're answering the desires and the longings in each one of these men um, who want to grow up more fully. You hear that cry in them. You hear the confusion. You hear the insecurity. You hear the tensions. You hear the frustrations with self. You, you hear the feelings of inadequacy, the feelings of fraud. Um, you, you hear the feelings within them, Lord, that they don't understand of tremendous power and energy and focus and drive. Lord, you understand them. You put them there. And you want to cultivate those things. You want to discipline those things. You want them to become more focused, more energetic, more vital, and more masculine. Mm. Lord, even if that's not a popular word in our culture, there is a proper place for masculinity in our culture mm. and for each one of these men. And I pray against the confusion of the enemy that would want to shut down the masculinity in these particular men. Yes. in their lives and in their contexts. Mm -hmm. I pray that you will raise it up. I pray that you will breathe on them your own masculinity, mm -hmm. the perfect, the perfect masculinity of Jesus Christ would be manifest in each one of these men's lives, in their bodies, mm -hmm. in their souls, in their spirits, in their mental acuity. Mm -hmm. Lord, everything about them Lord, this is your plan, and this is your design within them. It's your plan and your purpose, and we call it forth. Mm. And we thank you. We thank you that we have to be dependent on you in this and that we don't know how to do it ourselves exactly, but you will teach us as a community how to support these men in becoming fully alive as men as husbands, as fathers, that they will express what Paul is expressing 
about what a man in a marriage is, mm -hmm. that they will come to express that, that eventually in their relationships, it won't be an issue of trying to make a marriage work. It will just work because they know how to be men. I pray for ease. I pray for the Holy Spirit to bring the oil that makes this easy instead of hard. Mm -hmm. I pray that you will withhold these, uphold these men to not fall into despair about themselves and about their ability to be husbands and fathers and leaders in the community. Protect them from despair. Do not let the enemy snatch anyone out of a place of peace and rest and assurance that you are 100% committed to them becoming fully alive and fully mature. Thank you, Lord. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, I just pray with my sisters here in this room um, for your blessing on our brothers. Lord, we lift them to you and we ask that you would build them up. We ask that we would build them up and we repent of any ways that we have torn down the men in our lives. Father, we ask for um, a, them to know how much we appreciate them. We ask that you'd give us words to speak to them of appreciation and blessing for who they are, for their unique giftings and callings, and help us, Lord, to uh, speak those words of blessing and life and inspiration to them uh, as we have that capacity to do and to bless. Lord, in your mercy. Prayer. Brothers and sisters, let's just go right to our confession. I have, wait, I have one yes. important thing of God's been on. Um, you can all sit down or, yeah. But um, in that passage from Paralandra, he describes male and female as rhythm and melody. And I just think that, Lord, we, we want to fit together as rhythm is nothing without melody and as melody is nothing without rhythm mm. and they they work mm. so much in sync to come to to create something that is greater mm. than either one by itself can be yeah. Yeah. lord that's the cry of our hearts yes. and that's our prayer yes to reflect your image in that way yes and Lord, um, this is exactly my sense too, Lord, why you, I want, I sense you want us to come right to confession mm -hmm. because the truth is, Lord Jesus, that we have sung many notes of discord mm -hmm. and many discordant notes have been sung to us. Yes. And we, we long, Lord Jesus, to be sung over with that love song, the song of joy again. And we'd love, Lord Jesus, to be able to sing in symphony and harmony with you mm -hmm. in our maleness and females, in the embodiment of your image in a unique way that each of us do that. Lord, we bring to you our pricked consciences, 
the ways we've fallen short, the ways we've hurt. Lord, we bring to you our wounded hearts that have been hurt by others. Mm -hmm. Lord, we do entrust ourselves to you, but we ask for your healing mm -hmm. through your grace that we would begin to be restored in the image that you have created and redeemed. Mm 